morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Uh, we are almost done the established series. This is week 30. Uh, I don't think we've ever done a series for that long. I know other churches do three year long series on things. This is a big deal for us. And uh, I think it highlights what Pastor Matt was already talking about, that we are really hoping that the Establish app is going to be a powerful tool to be able to uh, provide a, a foundation in the lives of new believers. And so we really wanted you to have the kind of the full experience of the content that you would be motivated to use this as a tool to help others discover who Jesus is and how to follow him. Well, as we've been spending the last number of weeks in the New Testament, it begins with uh, looking at the life and death of Jesus Christ. It ends, as we've already looked at in the last uh, few weeks, with a understanding of the end times and heaven and hell and all those kind of cosmic realities. And then in between those two times are some letters that were written to the first Christian churches. And what they were primarily written for is to say, uh, this is what the Christian message is, and this is its implications. This is how it changes your life, that you were born again, and uh, in that new birth, you were actually birthed into a new family. And these are kind of the family values. It's the theology and then kind of the practice of how to live this out in the context of church family and even our natural family. And so what we want to do this morning is go through those family values and to be able to reflect and say, are, are the values of God's family, um, have I embraced those as my own values? You know, it's easy to, to just kind of assume, well, I'm a Christian and so I, I must I must think as Christians do. Well, we want to be able to take a moment and really reflect on what we believe and whether it lines up with Scripture. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, it kind of outlines what some of these values are. And it, it, it frames it in the idea of being the people of God. Here's what it says. God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So in light of that, in light of the, the love that God has shown us, so you should always clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. And that's going to be the primary thing that we're going to be focusing on this morning. Even more than all this, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. So what we see in this passage is a description of what our hearts are to be like in order to engage uh, in, in being part of God's family and to value what God values. And the, the banner over all of that is really love, isn't it? That this is the, this is the primary thing that God calls, how he calls us to relate to him and to others is in his love. And then he spells out what that love looks like that it looks like mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And then ultimately, he talks about forgiveness. This is really, forgiveness is really the highest form of love. It's giving to people the opposite of what they deserve. 
And so that makes it the greatest expression of what love is, where love is doing something for the benefit of another, uh, not for the benefit of self. Well, forgiveness captures that in the most remarkable of ways. And Jesus then is our example that he first forgave us, and now we extend that forgiveness of others. Jesus is our example, so uh, which is recorded in verse 13. As he has forgiven us, we're to forgive others. So if we're to understand what forgiveness is, we need to actually look at what Jesus did and then model our lives after him. Well, to understand what forgiveness is uh, and what Jesus did on the cross, we really need to go back to the Old Testament and to understand the animal sacrifices that happened for generations as a precursor to uh, the fulfillment of all of that in what Jesus did. So here's what happened. If there was a, you were going to sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of your sins, <clears throat> what you would do is you would lay your hand on that animal, and that animal, in a sense, symbolically, and here's the word that we're going to be looking at this morning, absorbed the sin that separated you from God. So this act of, of laying on of hands is taking all that you've done to alienate yourself from God, and now you're asking that that animal pay the price and absorb all that you've done wrong so that you are back <clears throat> in right relationship with God. Uh, this is exactly what Jesus did ultimately. So that was the animal sacrifices were a, uh, a foretaste of what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 2, 24, in the first part of the verse, it says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body, that he somehow took our sins and bore them, that laying on of hands idea, bore them in his body, absorbing the cost of that sin, so that we're no longer, our sin no longer alienates us from God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it's kind of a, a complicated idea, but it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And in Galatians 3.13, it says something similar where it says that he became, uh, <clears throat> he became cursed kind of on our behalf. So what's going on here? Well, the idea of absorption is a helpful way to understand what forgiveness is. That somehow all that we've done is, uh, is it, Jesus takes it upon himself, pays the price for that, so that we're no longer separated from God because of our sinfulness. You know, for the longest time, when I thought about forgiveness, it, it felt like um, God was a wrathful God, super upset with what we've done. And so he's looking for someone to pay just because he's so angry. And so the only person that he can think of who can rightly pay for all of the sins of humanity is his son. And, uh, you know, because God hated what we, what we did, he killed his own son in order to appease his wrath. Well, this, of course, has nothing to do with the motivation of God. But sometimes we can look at forgiveness in such a way that it looks very legal and transactional and kind of misses the point of what's really going on. Where God so loved the world that he says, what can I do? And so, uh, so the Godhead decided 
that they would absorb the cost of our sin, not hold it against us, so that we could be in relationship with God. I mean, this is absolutely remarkable. In, in, in Psalm 103, verse 10, the first part says, He did not treat us as our sins deserve. Can you see that absorbing quality where instead of um, uh, doing, uh, you know, punishing us for our sins, he says, no, I'm just going to absorb the cost of that, the cost on, on you as well as the cost on our relationship. And I'm just going to accept that cost on your behalf so that it's no longer dividing you and I. This is a remarkable understanding of what's really going on when it says that Jesus forgave our sins. So, uh, now, uh, that's what Jesus did to restore us to God. So, while Jesus absorbs the cost of our sin against God, we absorb people's sin against us. <clears throat> now, this is, a, this is an important thing to understand, that uh, Jesus left us something to do. He says, look, I'm going to absorb the cost of how people have broken relationship with me. You need to absorb the cost of how people have broken relationship with you. There's a difference between heaven's court and human courts. I'm reminded uh, a number of years ago, there was a, a serial killer. His name was Ted Bundy. And he was interviewed on a radio talk show that you might have heard of called Focus on the Family, a great talk show. And um, Dr. James Dobson interviewed him. Now, it, he, he retold the story of coming to Christ and receiving the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> now, what I find, I mean, there's lots of things that were interesting about that interview, but I remember in that moment realizing, this was a number of years ago, and in that moment I realized that even though um, Jesus forgave his sins, Ted Bundy's sins, in heaven's court, he was still, uh, this was a capital crime in, in America, and so he was going to be executed. That the forgiveness that he experienced in one court did not transfer to the other court. That there is something <clears throat> that God has left on earth for us to do, and that is administer justice. And so justice still needed to be served, even though he was forgiven by God. What this tells us is that we still have a responsibility to administer justice. And the first way that Christians are commanded to administer justice is actually to personally absorb the cost of other people's sin. That's our first response. It's an act of justice. You deserve something, but I'm going to absorb the cost of that on your behalf. This is, uh, this is revolutionary and tremendously foreign on the world today. This is what's referred to in Colossians 1.24. It says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Uh, there was something left over of the afflictions of Christ, the suffering and sacrifice of Christ, that I need to complete for the sake of the body, the church. 
And so I'm carrying on that work of forgiveness and absorption to walk in harmony in the body of Christ. Romans 12.1, which is a life verse for me, Romans 12.1 and 2, uh, says it in a very powerful way. It says, in view of God's mercy towards us, so in view of the forgiveness that we've received, we now become a sacrifice, a sacrifice for others. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We do what Jesus has done for us. We sacrifice our rights and pride, and there's no reason, aside, of course, for love's sake, why we would die for someone else, but we die to ourselves for the sake of love and relationship. This is the Christian way. This is the, the foundation of God's values for his family. He modeled it, demonstrated it first in Jesus Christ, extended that to us, and says, now you do the same for others. So here's the summary statement of what's going on. <clears throat> Forgiveness absorbs the personal and relational consequences of people's sin by loving them freely and generously. Forgiveness absorbs the, rela the personal and relational consequences of their sin and says, instead of holding that against you, instead of seeking revenge and demanding that you pay on my behalf, I'm going to pay on your behalf. And what I'm going to do, instead of coming against you in punishment, I'm going to love you freely and generously, not as your sins deserve, but I'm going to love you in the way that Jesus has loved me. This is the sacrifice of Christ, and this is our sacrifice for one another. I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the significance of what this means. Not some legal, you know, I forgive you. No, I'm going to absorb the cost of what you've done to such an extent that I'll treat you as though it never happened. I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. And as God says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to cast away sin and judgment. Wow. The only way to overcome evil is to bear the cost of other sin. You know, I picture today people negotiating and trying to establish fairness and <clears throat> not fight for their personal rights and, and even going so far as to seek revenge. That never overcomes evil. Evil is overcome through forgiveness, through absorption. Through, uh, through, in a sense, paying that penalty by <coughs> um, <clears throat> bearing the cost and not treating them as they deserve. I'm reminded of a story that I think exemplifies this in the most remarkable of ways, and it was called the Charleston Church Massacre. It was a mass shooting that uh, happened on June 17 in 2015, where nine African-Americans were killed during a Bible study. Now, this church was one of the oldest black churches in the States and is a center for civil rights. It was the first 
uh, it was first targeted by hate crimes, get this, in 1822. <clears throat> so now, you know, all, this is now in present day, that's, that's 200 years ago. This church first experienced hate crimes. This is incredible. It was said that it was reported that the killer told investigators he almost did not complete his plan because the members of the church had been so nice to him. He came in during a Bible study and killed these nine people. At the hearing, it goes further, at the hearing, shooting survivors and relatives of five of the victims spoke to the killer directly, saying they were praying for his soul and they publicly forgave him. This is just, uh, this is overwhelming, <clears throat> but it goes even further. One of the victims was Sharonda Singleton, and her son, Chris, really became an inspiration and a spokesperson for the heart of that church. And he recalls calls what he calls a powerful quote from a Christian author, Lewis B. Smeads, who wrote a classic on forgiveness. This is what he quotes. This is what Chris Singleton quotes. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Wow. And what he's, what he's contrasting is the idea that the opposite of forgiveness is revenge. And when you set about to enact revenge, you actually become a prisoner. You become in bondage to the sin that was committed against you that that sin is still consuming you, affecting you, and stealing away your own peace and joy. And the only way to get free from the consequence of that sin is to extend forgiveness, which means to absorb the cost of what they have done against us. He went on, Chris went on to, uh, to also, which, which to me is, is a, is, shows the beautiful tension of what forgiveness is, went on to look at how to reform the laws in South Carolina on hate crimes. So he begins with this profound expression of forgiveness, but then also wants to become an advocate for those who have been sinned against and actually reform laws in his state. But in both the forgiveness and in the reformation of laws, both of those things are expressions of justice, expressions of a profound love for victims and for criminals. And together they reveal a outstanding portrayal of what the love of God is truly like. So here's my concern as we consider what forgiveness really is. Here's my concern. <clears throat> and it's this, that our pursuit of happiness and healing undermines forgiveness. When I think about how we look at personal healing, I'm afraid, I see it within my own self, I see it in, in, in the people around me, that often there's a tremendous self-focus. You've hurt me, you're dangerous, and so what I need to do is I need to distance myself from you uh, emotionally, perhaps physically, and I need to have a form of self-protection. 
because I don't want to be hurt again because I've been so wounded by you. And so the, the logic is the only way that I'm over, going to overcome my woundedness is if I separate myself from the wounder. Uh, the logic doesn't stand in Scripture. That the only way to overcome the effects of being wounded is actually to absorb the cost of the sin and not distance ourselves in the name of, uh, of healing and becoming uh, free. Freedom comes through forgiveness, not through distance. I'm afraid that the advice that we give ourselves and that other people give us avoid the cost of true forgiveness and therefore set us in a direction that leads toward loneliness, resentment, self-protection, and ultimately our own condemnation. In Matthew 6, 14, it says that God will forgive us the way that we forgive others. And so as we live in a way of unforgiveness, uh, we end up condemning ourselves. Our only freedom from a lonely, self-centered existence for eternity is to practice the forgiveness that was extended towards us. It's the only way forward. Now, follow me on this because this is a very big deal. The way forward into healing and wholeness is not in the withdrawal from relationship, but is actually in pressing, pressing further into relationship in the form of forgiveness. Only as we come closer instead of more distant do we find liberation in love. Uh, you know, I, I, think of, I, I think of my marriage. I've watched Debbie uh, practice this towards me, I think, thousands of times. And I've tried to do the same for her, that, that when we hurt each other, our first instinct is to recoil and to self-protect and to shut down our hearts and to just uh, try to survive the moment. And I've watched my wife time and again in the midst of my ugliness and sin draw close to me in forgiveness. It's, uh, it's an overwhelming experience because I know that I'm receiving the opposite of what my sins deserve. And in that moment, she's free and I'm convicted and brought to repentance. It's a, it's a holy experience. And I'm afraid that it's all too rare, not just in the world, but even in the church. I pray that we would reconsider what healing is, that we would see it in relational terms, not in individualistic terms, and we would pursue healing relationally in reconciliation, not in self-protection. This is the uh, direction that achieves liberation. <clears throat> but it's complicated, isn't it? You know, I, I, I mean, the, we always think of the, more, the most drastic examples. Of course, this mass shooting is, uh, 
is what makes it so gripping. But I even think in terms of pedophiles, does that mean that forgiveness means that we should uh, welcome them to become the babysitters of our kids? Is that what forgiveness means? Well, of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? <clears throat> but because we also have a responsibility, uh, not just to love the criminal, but to love potential victims, since that would be a dangerous thing to do. It would be unwise. It would even be unwise for those who have violated us to open ourselves up to them in ways that um, move beyond that other person's repentance. But our side of the relationship is to extend forgiveness. It doesn't mean that everything will be fine because they still need to repent and they still have to be on their journey in order for us to be able to walk together in, in a true vulnerability. But our responsibility is always to forgive the way the Lord forgave us. That's where it starts. And this is what we need to grab hold of. So what does it look like? What's the answer? How do we, how do we demonstrate forgiveness towards others? Well, it's quite simple. It's, it's recorded in, in Matthew uh, 22, verse 38, that we love our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. So we forgive others the way that we would want to be forgiven. That's the standard. So if you don't know what to do in a moment, you go, what does forgiveness look like? It's so confusing and, and I can't just dismiss what they've done, yet I've got to extend forgiveness and absorb the cost of that sin. What, should, what would it look like? Will we put ourselves in their shoes and say, if I was that criminal, which we often are, uh, what would I want done towards me? And so that becomes a, a way to understand what forgiveness practically looks like. So in conclusion, when love is our motive, this is what we read in Colossians 12, that, that above all, clothe yourself, wrap yourself in the love of God. When love is our motive, forgiveness and absorption becomes a privilege. It becomes a means to freedom, a means to reconciliation, to unity, to peace. Forgiveness through absorption becomes the way that we live when love is our motive. And the result is a relational peace, that peace becomes a possibility when we practice forgiveness. Can I just tell you that <clears throat> this is my experience at ENV. I'm, I'm quite convinced <clears throat> if, you've, if you've been in this church for any length of time and if we've been able to know each other personally, that the only reason why you would stay at this church is if you've learned how to forgive me. And I look at those who I've walked with for years, some of you, uh, for decades. And the only reason why we're still walking together is because you've practiced forgiveness towards me. And not even just towards me, but even towards my whole family. That the foundation of this church is people who have absorbed the cost of my sin, my family's sin, other people sin, and we've chosen to walk together in spite of us. We haven't dismissed sin, pretended it didn't exist. We haven't hardened our hearts. We've practiced, the, we've practiced true forgiveness. And I can promise you that the only uh, hope for the future of our church, any church, any family, 
is to build that church, that family, on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to first receive that from him, and then to uh, communicate and give that away to others. I'll tell you what will happen as you practice that kind of forgiveness. I've discovered this myself, that uh, we will never take for granted the sacrifice of Christ. When you've truly forgiven somebody and you've, you've bitten your tongue, you've responded with generosity instead of revenge and self-righteousness, even a self-serving sense of justice, you've, you've, you've said no to that and you've been generous and you realize what that experience is to truly forgive another person, we get this small taste of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we will never take his sacrifice for granted when we know what it's like to forgive just one person for small crimes, let alone carrying the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. And it makes us worship Jesus and be forever grateful for the forgiveness of sins. So uh, we're going to move into to worship, but as we move into worship, let's meditate on these things and say, have I absorbed, uh, you know, do I, do I actively <clears throat> and willingly absorb the sin of those around me? Is that my practice? Or do I become quickly insulted, quickly defensive, quickly angry? Our lives will become smaller and smaller if we do, but our lives become larger and larger and more full of love as we practice forgiveness. Let's, let's, let me pray for us. Oh, Father, <clears throat> this understanding of forgiveness clarifies the work of your son and our work. There is no more, there's no greater, more costly work than the work of forgiveness. But there's nothing more profound, more healing, <coughs> and, and, more <coughs> and more loving. Oh, Father, would you work in our hearts the love of Jesus Christ. Would you, would you let us be born again into love and then express that love through kindness, humility, patience, and ultimately forgiveness. That we could demonstrate ourselves to be your children, carrying on your family values. Transform us by your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.